Many of you know that Larry and I landed in Port Orchard because of my Navy family and community. My parents, best friends in the Navy, live here in Port Orchard. And one of the gifts of being a child of the military, anybody else a child of the military? Um, one, of the cool, um, one of the cool experiences that you have is there's hardly a place in the nation or the world that you can land and uh, not be connected to someone. There's like always somebody somewhere, which is most of the time a really amazing thing. Around the holidays, it can um, actually stink a little bit <laughs> because it's really hard to connect in person with people. I'm fascinated that um, my son is growing up in a FaceTime era, right? My brother and his kids live in Germany, and Reed, like, thinks his cousins are his best friends, but he's seen them in person twice in his whole life, right? Isn't this a fascinating thing? At Christmas morning, when you try to FaceTime your relatives out of town, does anybody do this? It is not remarkably effective, is it? <laughs> it's amazing. The year-round, FaceTime can make you feel like you're more connected to people who live in other places, but these moments where you want everybody together and in person, in this day and age, it actually feels like a stronger disconnect. Like you're missing people being in person even more. I think that the reason that we feel that disconnect even more at the holidays is actually at root of what the Christmas story tells us about who we are and where we belong in terms of really deep connection. One of the things that I'm encouraged about, it's going to sound weird at first, so stick with me. One of the things I'm encouraged about as I go around in our everyday world is I see people not only wanting more relational connection, right? We see people wanting more emotional connection. Larry's uh, finishing a counseling degree, right? And we see that need pretty dramatically. But we also see people longing for a spiritual connection. I saw it this week. I went into three local bookstores. I love a local bookstore. And I was fascinated that in each one, the metaphysical section was front and center. Has anybody noticed this? And it's really stocked. And I could be really discouraged about that. But instead, I'm really fascinated by it because what it tells me is that as a culture, we have left or are leaving this era spiritually where the majority person is deist. This word means like uh, there's like an undergrounding assumption that God set the world in motion and then backed off and is letting it ride out in natural laws of things. What it tells me when I see the metaphysical section front and center in every local bookstore is it tells me that people are believing the spiritual world has come close. That you can connect somehow with more than you can see with your eyes. And what that says to me as a follower of Jesus is there is a hunger. There is a seeking there's a desire for a connection rather than an assumption of disconnection. So if you're somebody who came today feeling disconnected, feeling a longing to connect relationally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I have good news for you today in the Christmas story because our God is a God who longs to connect with us. And in a very supernatural way, the Christmas story alerts us that there is more than you can see. 
and that that spiritual world is longing to make a connection back to us. So let me read us some of the Christmas story today. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're working our way backwards through Luke. So we're almost uh, in the home stretch here with Luke chapter 1. And today we're um, landing in the story of the shepherds and the angels. So listen with fresh ears and fresh eyes for the way that heaven wants to connect with us. Hear God's word. And in the same region, that's the region that Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, the one angel, right, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Would you say thanks be to God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, would you enrapture our hearts with this radical story today? Would you make a deep connection with us? Lord, that would result not only in our um, knowing that peace is available, but knowing that peace is available to us into our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God has a radical story of connecting with us, doesn't he? Last week, I told you that in the story of Simeon, I had a feeling like the Trinity was so excited about Jesus coming to earth that they had sent the Spirit ahead of time to tell, get somebody ready, get a welcoming party ready, right, to tell Simeon, this is going to happen. The Lord's Christ is coming even before you're going to pass away. Do you remember this, right? Well, today the overexcited group of people are the angels who have spent eternity worshiping Father, Son, and Spirit in the throne room. They know that Jesus has come to earth, that he's left his heavenly throne, as Philippians 2 says. He's emptied himself. He's taken on human form, taking on the form of a servant, humbled himself, and he's come. The angels know this. Because they've been worshiping forever. And they can't help but wait in the middle of the night and go, Jesus has left his throne and he's in the manger and they can't stop worshiping him, right? They're singing glory to God in the highest and yet they're not directing their praise at the throne. They're directing their praise at a manger, but hardly anybody's there. And so they're in their excitement. They go to the only people who are awake in the middle of the night this is the night shift crew going down to the mosquito fleet at three in the morning to cross the water, right? He's going to the shepherds who are awake on the night watch, watching over their sheep. And they're going, oh, you're awake. Good news. I've got great joy that's not just for you. It's actually for the whole world. Thanks for being awake for this. Would you please go to Bethlehem and see and praise this God that we've been praising for eternity? You're going to find him. 
the angels come. Now, here's one of the things I think we think with angels. We think they're flying from a long way away, right? Like heaven is some far off planet that like it took them a long time to get here for. But I really love C.S. Lewis's language of a veil. He talks about um, God just being on the other side of a veil. And suddenly the angels can just appear. The heavenly realm and the earthly realm are living in parallel in a way that we can't really comprehend, can we? I'm encouraged that um, we actually, in 2023, I can talk about, I have an illustration for this, because our superhero movies are obsessed with the multiverse. Anybody watched any of the recent movies? The most recent Spider-Man movie has a guy who just jumps between different realities by creating an ink blot in the sky. It's very confusing. I'm not really sure I understand it myself, but that actually helps with the illustration because this is fascinatingly beyond our comprehension, right? Thanks be to God, we believe in a God who is bigger than us, who has created a world that is more amazing than us. But he talks about heaven appearing as if it's immediately accessible. And if the veil were just peeled back, we'd be aware that there were angels worshiping in heaven that are wanting to make a connection with us. Isn't that incredible? And not just one angel appears, the angel of the Lord appears. He kind of gets credit throughout the scriptures for appearing suddenly in the human realm. But it's like all the angels behind him were like, oh, we're doing this? <laughs> we're showing up? Hold on, wait for me. So suddenly a multitude of the heavenly hosts appears with him. The, the language of multitude is the language of thousands. I looked up today what the loudest NFL stadium is. Does anybody know? I thought it was the Seahawks. Apparently it's the Kansas City Chiefs field and their sound in that space can reach 142 decibels apparently 140 decibels is painful to the ear and they can reach 142 and may imagine thousands of people not just shouting oh right but shouting glory to god in the highest appearing they are doing that now. Revelation says the angels are ever before the throne of God saying, worthy are you, worthy, 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 the lamb who was slain. They are always worshiping and it's just a veil away. And in this moment that Jesus came to earth, the angels peel back the veil and leave the testimony with the shepherds that man, we are worshiping and praising God. And now go see him. This will be a sign for you, they said. Go and find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God has made an immediate connection with us in space and time, limited in one city in Bethlehem to one mother and father, Mary and Joseph, lying in one manger. I really love um, Kenneth Bailey's research on this, on the manger scene. He um, is really known for studying early Palestinian life and the life of peasants and what it would look like and helping us actually picture what that looks like. And what we can picture is not Jesus out in a barn, but Jesus, a baby, in the center of a living room on a dirt floor in a peasant home 
where the people slept in a loft up above, but the angel or the animals were brought in at night to keep the animals safe and to keep the house warm. And a feeding trough would have been placed for them in the middle of the living room. This is where God makes connection with us. He comes into the messy, dirty living room. He chose to leave the worship of thousands of angels to be in the center of animals, in the center of the living room. This is the way that God connects with us too, right? He comes in time and place to towns that people think are passed over, to individual named people and families. He chooses it, actually. Our God is not a metaphysical oneness. He is one in a person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who makes his room with us, connects with us in time and space. And the angels declare over this child something amazing. Here's a little baby. If you watch um, Will Ferrell, little eight and a half pound sweet baby Jesus in a manger, right? Who the angels declare to be Savior and Christ and Lord. He's Savior. He's the one who saves us, not only from all the ways that we individually miss the mark, but he saves the whole world from its chaos that came in the curse when sin entered the world. He saves us and all of the world. This is the proclamation over this baby. He is Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, who was anointed to come to save. He is Lord. He is God creator, eternal God. Come to make connection with us. This is amazing, is it not? This tells us something really unique about our God, the God of those who follow Jesus. It says that God is a God of incarnation and God is a God of self-revelation. I really love John's recording of the Christmas story. If you were at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each have a Christmas story, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a baby Jesus. John has this incredible Greek philosophy situation, and he says that God put on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. This is a Eugene Peterson's translation. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only one from the Father. He has made him known. Our God is a God of incarnation who comes in the flesh. And our God is a God of self-revelation who makes himself known. This is really important because if you were to go to the metaphysical section of the library or of the bookstore, it would tell you that you can either self-realize power and authority and spirituality, or you can um, like access power personally. Our God says something different. He says that he is all power and authority and he comes to us. He reveals himself to us. He makes himself available to us. He comes in the flesh to us. This is remarkable. We believe in a God of incarnation and a God of self-revelation. And we want this more than anything because we want to connect. We want to connect with God. We want to connect authentically with each other. And in our day and age, we talk a lot about how we want to connect with ourselves. And that means is through a God who would 
connect with us. Isaiah um, promises this Messiah. We've gone to him every week. We're going to keep going to him every week. And Isaiah 53 let us know ahead of time what it would take for the God in the flesh to connect with us. Not only that he would come as a servant, but that he would suffer for us. He would take on the curse of the sin and do away with the curse to reconnect us with a holy God. Listen to this anticipation. Um, this is Isaiah 53. It says, um, he will grow up before them like a plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, right? Wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As you read the story of this baby rising up, you read all of this. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Who needs to hear that today? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's connected with you in your point of sorrow, in your point of grief. This is where he comes to connect with you. Not when you've got it all together. Not when you've got things perfect. Not when you've already healed yourself. Not when you've already found access to power. He comes and bears your sorrows. Carries your sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. We want peace. It comes at a cost of a sacrifice for what is unjust. We see this happening in the Middle East, right? We're, we're looking at Ukraine and Russia, as Larry prayed, we're looking at Israel, Palestine, we're going, what will it take to bring peace? Apparently, there's not enough punishment to go around. There's not enough justice. There's too much injustice. What will it take? It took a person who was willing to carry your griefs, to bear your sorrows, who would take upon himself the punishment for all injustice. Jesus carried that on the cross. It was all poured out on him. The wrath of God, it says, was poured out on him so that by his stripes we would be healed. The iniquity and the punishment that put him on his cross brought us peace. It is a very personal peace. It is a peace at great cost. And so the angels can come and connect with the shepherds, connect with the people who are awake at night, connect with people who have messy living rooms and who have animals in the middle of them and are full in griefs and sorrows. God can come and connect with us because God himself carried the curse and the dirtiness and the sin and the injustice on himself. It is done. It is finished, he says. And that brings us peace. I wrestled this week um, with the proclamation of the angels. The, the first angel of the Lord comes and says, I've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people, right? It says, because this baby is born. But then when the multitude of the heavenly hosts come, they say, glory to God in the highest and peace with those on whom his favor rests. And I was, I was processing out loud my frustration that it's not, and um, glory to God in the highest and peace 
to all the world. And I was frustrated by this extra clause on whom his favor rests because I, I kind of would like to have a universalist faith. But my friend pointed out to me that the reason that on whom his favor rests might be there, thanks Stephanie, is because the peace is intrinsically connected to the person of Jesus. The good news is good, for, good news for all. There is a king on the throne. There is a God in heaven who is worshipped eternally for the way that he connects with us, for the punishment that he took on for the whole world, for the hope that he will bring to the whole world. And those who know him, who have run to the manger to find him, who have accepted Jesus in the messiness of their lives, they know his peace. The access point to peace is very personal. It's in the person of Jesus and the acceptance of what he did to bring us peace. Glory to God in the highest and peace on those on whom his favor rests. His favor is not earned. His favor, I'm going to, let me say this carefully because I didn't write this down. His favor is exchanged. The favor is all upon the son who died holy for us. And when we hide our lives in Christ, the favor that is on Christ is the favor that rests on us. And we experience peace. Friends, this is what we need more than anything. We need his peace. I told you Larry's been finishing up a counseling degree, which has kind of put me on my own counseling therapy journey. And it took me two years to be able to name 10 emotions as I was experiencing them. I won't make you go through therapy, my therapy, but I'm just going to tell you it's a pretty incredible process to go through. And the first emotion that I was able to name and experience was the emotion of peace. I was in the garden one day and I was rooting things up, which is a pretty holy process around here, try to pull up Blackberry, right? And I just had an overwhelming sense of being at ease. And I felt the shift. And I dialogued with God about it. What is that? And I felt him say, this is peace. This is peace. This is what it feels like to be at peace. Friends, if you've never experienced peace, let me just invite you to ask the Spirit to give you the gift of his peace. It's remarkable. It doesn't change the circumstances all the time. It doesn't change the disconnect you might feel from family. It doesn't change the, the experience of strife, but it gives it over to someone who is able to carry it for you. And it's remarkable to enter into his peace. This is the gift that God is giving to you when he says that there's a baby in the manger. Go and see him. I got to hear some testimonies of life living in God's peace this week because one of the ways that we experience life together in community is that we invite people to commit to this community, to go through a class called Practicing the Way, kind of discover their own rhythms and habits for life with God, and then to decide if this community is a community that fits into how they are going to walk with Jesus. We invite them to commit to community. At the end of that class, we have dinner all together and we share our stories. And so I got to hear these amazing relational connections that brought people together. And as they're talking about 
really incredible ways, especially in this community, that there were God connections to other countries and to neighbors. Just We're too small of a group, really, to have a connection to Tunisia, okay? But we do. <laughs> and I got to listen to that and just experience God's peace in their story. Somebody else in their, in their story used this image for how they're feeling, just held. That's the experience of peace. It's the experience that those of us who follow Jesus have the opportunity, the invitation to experience. You will, you'll find stories of that in scripture, but it's not in the metaphysical section. It's not in laying out your cards and feeling like you know what the future is. It's coming to know the person of Jesus who's made it possible for you to connect with the most holy God. And therefore connect most authentically with who he's made you to be and to set you in a community of peace. So the first invitation I want to give you today is to ask, have you ever experienced God's peace? And to invite you to prayer. When you get to the, your messy living room, when you get to your bedroom, when you get to a place of strife, if your workplace is a place of strife, maybe you've got road rage. <laughs> and the messiest place you can invite God's presence is into your car, right? But in that messy place to say, God, Megan said that you're a God of peace and that I could make connection with you through Jesus. Would you come and allow me to experience your peace? That's the first invitation I want to give you. Because when the shepherds experienced peace in seeing the baby Jesus in the manger, it's remarkable what they did next. I think it's remarkable. They went back to their regular life, praising God. I think that's amazing. When you have a radical experience of God's presence, he's not calling you potentially to do anything anything except live where you are with his presence. Here, this is what happened with the shepherds after they experienced Christ. They went to Bethlehem, right? They see the baby. And then it says, um, uh, let's see, they went with haste to find baby Jesus. And then um, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned. They went back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, fast forward to the end of Luke, because you're going to love this. When the disciples see Jesus crucified and then rise again from the dead and have that remarkable experience of seeing the resurrected Christ, they do the same thing. Listen to this from Luke chapter 24. They, the, the, uh, Jesus it says, Jesus led them out as far as, as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven. There's that remarkable heaven-earth connection. Where did he go? And, uh, amazing. It says, the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What are we to do with our, with our Christmas life, our life of knowing that Jesus has come? We return to our regular life, praising God and glorifying him, inviting people 
to the experience of his peace. When somebody is burdened with sorrows and cares, to offer, I, I know someone who carries burdens and sorrows for me. Would you be open to me praying for you? I know a God who's willing to carry that. I've experienced his peace. I'd love, I'd love for you to experience that too. You carry with you the testimony of peace into your life, into your neighborhood, to extend God's shalom, his peace, where you are. There will be a day when it doesn't take a multitude of angels to see God's glory, where it won't have to be in the middle of the night because he's coming again. And when he comes, says every eye will see him. It won't be obscure to just the shepherds. It will be to all who are awake to see him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is how the story ends. Will we be waiting for him? Will we be a community of peace that has been testifying to him as the shepherds and as the disciples did? I just want to commission you that it's not anything necessarily dramatic that is a testimony to who he is. It's inviting him into the messy places of your life, to the neighbors that you know by name, that he knows by name, and extending his shalom with a word, with a touch, with a FaceTime call, with an I see you, with a could I take your sorrows to the one who knows that I carry them. This is the peace that Jesus extends. So let me pray for us in those invitations. Jesus, we need your peace. Lord, I want to invite, invite an experience of your peace to those who've not yet experienced you personally. Holy Spirit, I ask for a transformation of peace. Would you change us to be a people of shalom? Even when our circumstances have not changed. Would you help us see that you're in the manger? That you're on the throne? That you are the God who has made an amazing connection with us? In Jesus' name, amen. It's going to be our practice in the Advent season to pray for the hope of the world to come in person. So I'm going to invite Christine um, to come forward. She's going to pray for us, pray with us, lead us in prayer for the global church. And I just want, I want to reiterate Larry's invitation. Consider coming to the prayer room and really connecting with the God of peace this Advent season. Larry's got um, the mic for us. Good morning. Please join me as we pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for bringing us all together this morning. You are here with us this morning, and we welcome you. Your glory fills the world. Your glory fills our community. Your glory fills our families. And your glory fills each and every one of us. And we thank you for that. As we think about how big and dazzling and glorious you are, let us remember that you are the same God who fills the world with his glory. You also fill our hearts with that same glory. And you invite us to join you in your mission, both in our communities and across the whole world. 
you ask us to walk with you and in your ways so that we can be a part of something that is both so much bigger than ourselves and also something deeply, deeply personal. We thank you for the chance to join together with believers all over the world this week in a week of prayer this Advent. We pray over Kitsap House's prayer room and over everyone who will be praying there this week. We pray that you will move in mighty ways as we faithfully come before you in prayer. I'd like to pray this morning over each and every one of us here at Kitsap House. You know each and every one of us and you cherish us. I pray that all of us can find our hope in you. Please work in our hearts, O oh Lord, and fill us with your everlasting peace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.